last week we began a new series where we were started going through the New Testament book of First John. And, and if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to either go back and listen to the podcast or watch uh, the, the stream on our YouTube channel because I, I really kind of laid a lot of uh, just kind of background and context uh, of what prompted John to write this letter. Um, and and it, it really kind of helps hearing that, that kind of background to help, help us to understand what it is that John is, is trying to talk about. And, and one of the things we said was that John is writing to address some of the, the false teachings that had started to infiltrate these churches in Asia Minor by a group of people called the Gnostics. And, and so I, what I want to do is we're going to just, we, last week we talked only about the first four verses in 1 John. I'm just going to touch on those really quick before we get into the next section here. And, and so John comes out and he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, and which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, talking about Jesus. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And, and I boiled down what John was saying in these first few verses to kind of like four main points, that Jesus is God in the flesh. John is reaffirming that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that we can know him, we can experience him, we, we can see him, we, you know, that we can, we can know God intimately through Jesus, that through Jesus we can have fellowship with God and with others, and that Jesus makes our joy complete, that nothing more needs to be added to it. So the passage we're going to be working on and, and reading this morning is going to be picking up in verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. And, and it's not a very long passage, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the, the whole section, and then we're going to kind of break it apart here just a bit. And so John says in verse 5, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And so John begins in verse 5 with just an absolutely beautiful description of who God is, where he says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And we, and we see this theme of light all throughout Scripture, that light is portrayed as, as moral purity, as wisdom, as righteousness, as direction, as truth. And light in the scriptures, it, it's always a good thing. And so when John declares that God is light, he's saying God is the perfect embodiment of all these glorious attributes. God is good. He's perfect. He's wise. He's just. He's truthful. His presence pierces the darkness. 
Now, if you recall last week, we, and we were talking about the Gnostics and some of the, the false teachings that the Gnostics would share, one of the things that they were teaching and that had started to infiltrate and permeate the church was this idea that salvation came through a, a kind of a special secret knowledge that, that could be attained. And he's pushing back on, on these false teachings by, by reaffirming what Paul had, had said, what he had taught, taught these churches when he first planted them years before. But the Gnostics were saying, all right, there's this secret knowledge. There's this, there, there's the, this that we have to kind of gain this, this secret way into God, that God is, is difficult to figure out. He's hard to find. And so unless we obtain this secret or this special knowledge, we would not be able to find God. And so when John uses this description of, of God as light, and in him there's no darkness at all, like this is the perfect description of God, and especially in light of what the Gnostics were teaching. Because against the backdrop of darkness, is light really all that hard to find? Like if we were to shut off all the lights in here, and I held up my, my flashlight on my phone, like it stands out, it's not difficult to find. You don't have to go searching for it. You don't have to wonder if you found it. Because against the backdrop of darkness, light stands out. It's apparent. It's obvious. And once the light pierces the darkness, it's not hidden. Because you don't have to go searching for it. It's not secret. But it's out there, obvious for all to see. And so God being light, he's revealed himself. He's shown himself to us. And because of that, he can be known. And John, he, he uses this metaphor of light throughout all, all of his writings, if, if you read through the Gospel of John, you read through John's uh, three epistles, you read through Revelation, he uses this theme of light over and over again. And so in, in the first few verses of, of John's Gospel, we touched on this last week, John writes, he says, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like if, if you remember last week, John is making the case that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he's not some lesser being, that he is equal with God. And so in 1 John 1, 5, he says God is light. In John 1, 4, he says Jesus is the light of all mankind. Again, Jesus and God are equal. A couple chapters later, in John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking, and he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he says, I am the light of the world, that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, that God is light, Jesus is also light, and Jesus says that whoever follows him will have two things, that we will never walk in darkness, and we will possess the light of life for ourselves. For those who, who are followers of Jesus, that he'll, he's going to provide direction, that we can follow his light and we don't have to walk in darkness. He can, John continues this idea a couple chapters later in verse 12 where he says, Jesus told them, you are going to have the light, meaning himself again, just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Because whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. And so just pause for a second here. That, that might be the most practical thing that you hear all morning, that whoever walks in darkness 
Whoever walks in darkness, they're not going to know where they're going. It, it almost sounds like a bit of a fortune cookie, doesn't it? Like those, like those of you who, who are parents, if you've ever walked into your kid's bedroom at night, like, like it can be a, a treacherous. You can step on Legos, you can trip on a Barbie doll, a towel and dirty clothes that were on the floor that you weren't expecting because if you're walking in darkness, you don't know where you're going. You can't see what's in front of you. Now, obviously, you could turn on the lights, but you're not going to do that while they're sleeping. But wouldn't that be a better way of, of making your way through? All right, I'm going to turn on the lights so I can see where I'm going. And if we think about this in the relation to the darkness of our world today, we need the light of life to shine and shine and to illuminate where we're going. Like trying to make our way in this world as difficult as it is, that we don't need to attempt to do it in darkness, but actually possessing the light of life. And John says, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Sons and daughters, children of light. And so watch this progression. John, 1 John 1, God is light. John chapter 1, Jesus is the light of all mankind. John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 12, he says, if we believe in the light, we become children of light. And then in Matthew chapter 5, different gospels, same Jesus. Matthew, Matthew records that Jesus says, all right, Jesus is speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. Talking about us. We are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house, and in the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And, and now Jesus says, all right, not only God is light, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he, but then Jesus says, all right, you are, us sitting here this morning, we are the light of the world. That when we put our faith in him, Jesus said, we now possess that light. That we are his children. Like in, and in the same way that we've probably, you know, maybe you've heard somebody say to you, oh, you have your, your father's nose, you have your mother's eyes, you have your dad's thinning hair. <laughs> I do. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone, Clive. <laughs> like, we, we carry the light that is our father's. Like when people see us, they ought to say, man, you have your father's light. The way you live your life, you look like Jesus. And so if God is light, if our father is light, John says that we ought to look like our father. And that's what John wants to explore next. And, and so like if, if I could kind of put like a, a personal heading on, on this kind of next part, these few things that we're going to talk about I would call it the, the marks of our fellowship. Like, like how do we know? Like, because John, John already has mentioned the word fellowship already. We, we addressed that last week when, when John was saying, all right, you know, we can have fellowship through Jesus. We can have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And so in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and the word fellowship is, is an interesting word because it's translated from the Greek word koinonia, with the root word koina meaning common, like having a common union with, to share with. 
And the way that Christians often use the word fellowship, maybe you've gone to a church that had like a fellowship hall, you know, where you could get together and you can have, uh, you know, a, a meal and you can hang out and, and enjoy one another. Like when Christians hang out together, we don't, we don't just hang out, we fellowship, you know. And, and, and the interesting thing about the way John uses the word fellowship, koinonia, is that it's not something that we do, but it's actually something that we are. Fellowship is, isn't something that, that we go about doing, it's something that we actually already are. That, that, if, that we are in fellowship with Christ. If we know Christ, if we are in Christ, we are his body. We're united, we, ha- we share a common union. We're, we're in communion with one another and with Christ. This kind of takes it a step further of what John was talking about last week, that, that if we are in Christ, if we are in his body, not only do we have fellowship with God, it's not something we do, it's, some, it's something that we are. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. And so, so let me kind of, I, I was trying to think about this a little bit, uh, and, and so let me kind of pick this apart for a moment, that, that Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith, not, our, not through our good works, so that no one can boast. And then in Ephesians 2.10, he says, but we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And you say, all right, well, Paul, which one is it? He's saying, all right, like, we've been saved by grace through faith, not because of our works. But then he says, all right, but you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And you say, all right, well, all right, how does that work? And, and what Paul is saying is, all right, we don't do good works so that we can be saved, but because we've been saved through faith, we do good works. Our good works are, are the natural byproduct of being saved by faith and not the other way around. And, and it's, the same, it's the same thing here, that we don't do things with one another so that we can have fellowship, but because we are in fellowship with one another, we do things with each other. We gather together. We encourage one another. It, it's, something, it's not something we try to do. We, it's not something we try to maintain in our lives. But it's something that we experience and we express because God has already united us together. Now I'm going to shift gears just slightly here because I'm, I'm going to fast forward towards the end of the book. And, and there's a reason why I, I'm going to do that because it sets up what we're going to talk about here. And so we'll, we're going to go a little more in depth in this in a couple weeks. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, so at the, at the end of his book, John kind of says, all right, this is why I wrote to you. This is why I, I'm writing this letter to you. He says, I write these things to you, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Like, Have, have you ever wondered to yourself, all right, am I really in Christ Am, am I really saved? Am I really part of the body of Christ? Am I really in fellowship with, with God? And John is saying, like, all right, part of the reason I wrote this letter to you is so, so you can know, so you can be assured that you have eternal life. And so what John does is, previous to this, he poses kind of a, a series of things that act as, as a test in a way, a way for us to kind of examine ourselves and say, all right, are, am I really in fellowship with God? Am I really in Christ? Am I a part of this body? And so he gives this, these, 
these things as, as an encouragement for us to know, all right, are we in the faith? And so that the first mark of our fellowship, kind of that first thing that we can use to examine ourselves is saying, all right, am I in the faith? Am I, am I in the truth? Is that we walk in the light. We walk in the light. This is the very first thing that, that we can use to examine ourselves. All right, am I a part of the fellowship? Am I a part of the body of Christ? He says, all right, we walk in the light. We, we can examine, we can know that if we are walking in the light. And so in chapter one, verse six, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Notice John says, he says, we walk in darkness. He, he's not saying, all right, if, if you sin sometimes, then you're a liar and the truth isn't with you. Because even people who have been saved by grace, we still sin. Every one of us. So that, that's not what he's saying. He's not, John isn't talking about perfection here. But what he's talking about is, is a life that's lived walking in darkness, apart from God. It, essentially what, what John is saying is that God is light, and if we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we are in common union with Christ, then our life ought to be, ought to be characterized not by darkness, but by, but by light. The, the, the character qualities that, that come out in our lives ought to be those similar to those of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And, and so think of it like this. The old is the darkness. But now that, now that we've been reborn in Christ, now we are walking in the light. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means a, a new mindset, a new way of, of living. And then John goes on to say in verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we do have fellowship with one another. And the blood of, Christ, uh, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John, John says, all right, if we are walking in the light, then we know we're going to have fellowship with God and with one another. Now remember, John is saying God is light. Jesus said that he himself is the light of the world. Matthew 5 said that we ought to let our light shine before others. And so kind of a, a way for us to, to test, to ask ourselves, all right, am I walking in the light? All right, we, we, we need to ask ourselves, all right, in the way that we interact with others, are we looking like Jesus? Are, 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 do, we, do we have our Father's light in the same way we have our Father's thinning hairline? You know, in the way we handle our finances, are we looking like Jesus? How we treat those who are nothing like us. Are we looking like Jesus? If you remember those WWJD bracelets, like back in the 90s? Like how many of those? All right, raise your hand. How many of those? How many had some? All right. Yeah, there's a good number of us that did. Like we don't have to wear a bracelet to live that out. But it is a question that ought to be in the forefront of our minds. What would Jesus do in this situation? Like, how would Jesus respond to this person that is really aggravating me right now? It's, a, it's such a basic and such a simple question, but one that John is essentially saying, all right, if you want to know if you're walking in the light, what would Jesus do in that situation? 
Jesus, he's the light of, wor- light of the world. What would the light of the world do in this situation? And so I think John is kind of saying, all right, if we want to know if we're walking in the light, we need to be willing to look in the mirror and ask ourselves this question. All right, am I, am I living a life that, that, that looks like Jesus? Am I responding in the way that Jesus would respond? Again, not perfection, but is that what I'm striving for? Is that what I'm after? Is that what I'm endeavoring to live out? And, and it's, it's easy to kind of hear something like this and say, man, I wish Jerry was here to see this, or to hear this. You know, like, because... Because, like, as Christians, we, we tend to have, like, this, we, we like to do fruit inspection. Like, we're, we like to, in, like, examine other people's fruit and say, man, you know what? He's really not walking, you know, like, he needs to fix this in his life. And if only he was here to hear this, all right, then he needs to examine himself. And, and really, I, I think what John is saying is take an inward look. And let's ask ourselves, am I walking in the light? Am I, am I living a life like wearing that WWJD bracelet? What would Jesus do in this moment? And, and so kind of that, that first mark of, of our fellowship, of being in fellowship with God, is that we're walking in the light. But the next one is that we confess our sins, that we confess our sins, that if we're in the faith, if we're in the faith, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. Like they've been paid for, they've been taken care of. But in verse 8 and 9, John writes, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's saying that like, if, if we claim to have no sin in our life, we're deceiving ourselves. Like we're, we're telling ourselves something that we've, actually started to believe. Like, have you ever done that before? Have you ever told yourself something over and over that you actually begin to believe it? You wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and like, man, you look good. <laughs> you, you know? And you wake up the next day, you're like, man, you look good. And, you know, 20 years later, you're like, man, I do look good. Like, deceiving ourselves, like, deceiving me. But, like, we, we can't go on thinking that, that we have no no sin in our life because we're only deceiving ourselves because eventually John knows we're going to start to believe it we're going to start we're going to start to believe it we're going to start to believe in our own goodness and in our own righteousness forgetting that it's actually all about the work that Jesus did on the cross it's not about our good efforts and our good works paul wrote in romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god every one of us your sweet grandma, the Pope. Like we're all part of this fallen club. But John says, but if we do confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just to forgive us. If you think about, if you think about sin, going all the way back to the, to the very beginning, going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, after they sinned, what did they do? They hid. They hid. They tried to hide from God. And the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And, and how, I mean, let, let's just be real for a minute. How much time and effort do we put into trying to conceal and hide our sins from God and from one another? Like, let's just be honest. We do it all the time, don't we? 
Because we know, all right, if, if this comes to light, if this comes out, man, I'm going to have to deal with that and it's going to be uncomfortable. So it's easier to try to keep it concealed in darkness. It becomes easier to try to hide it from God and from other people. Like there's a reason behind the phrase, light is the best disinfectant. When it is brought out, there's freedom. There's healing. There's forgiveness when, when we bring our sins and our mess out into the open. Like saying, all right, God, I hate this sin in my life. I, I hate this anger issue that I have. This lack of trust. I, I hate the, the, the way I just let my mouth get away from me. These, you know, these issues. I, I hate these sins. And even though I'm struggling with them, I always seem to keep going back to them. Jesus, I, I believe that you did free me, that you defeated them on the cross, that these things died with you, and so I'm laying them at your feet again. Confessing, renouncing. One version says forsaking our sins. And, and one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture, John says that, that if we do confess, God is faithful and he is just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not he's going to think about it. Not, all right, well, if you really prove it by not doing it again, well, then I'll forgive you. Then I'll cleanse. No. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. And he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and so I want to I want to take a look at the, the first two verses, kind of closing our time this morning. The first two verses in chapter 2. Because if we look at the verses we've already talked about this morning, they can kind of seem a little bit like a downer. Like, like John is pointing his finger at us and saying, all right, you're still sinners, you're still messing up. Stop pretending like you have it together. Like, just be real. But these final verses that we're going to talk about really is such a, a bright and a beautiful encouragement that in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you remember, John is writing this as an old man who, whose time on this earth was, was, coming to, was about to be up, coming to an end. He was the last surviving member of Jesus' inner circle. All the other disciples had either died or been martyred. And so John, like he's looking back on his life. He, he's writing this to these, to these churches, n like no doubt remembering the encounters that he saw Jesus having with all these different people. No, no doubt remembering the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well who'd been divorced five times and now was shacking up with, with somebody else. Like no, like no doubt John was remembering the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and watching how Jesus responded to her. No, no doubt that Jesus was remembering the, the, all the different people, the encounters that Jesus had with the sick and the lame and the blind. Like, no, no doubt John was remembering some of the last words that Jesus ever spoke when, it, when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Like, asking God to forgive those that were torturing him and killing him. And he, he writes to his, the, his readers, and he calls them 
my dear children. Like the, the mental picture that comes to mind is, is like a, a, a grandfather. Knowing his time is, a, is about to be up, he's run his race well. And, and he's, he's writing kind of some of his final thoughts. Saying, all right, this is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. This is what I know, and I want to pass it on to you. I want to share it with you. He's trying to impart these, these kind of final encouraging words to those he's about to leave behind, and he tells them, I'm writing this because I, I'm, I'm hoping you're not going to sin. Like, that's, I, that's what I really want. I want you to be living that life that, that looks like Jesus, that smells like Jesus. That's what I want to see. I'm hoping you're going to do the right thing. I'm, I'm hoping that the way you live your life is going to be an accurate and a true reflection of Jesus living inside of you, being in fellowship with God and with one another. But, but the great news is that if we do sin, and we're going to, when we do sin, the great news is that we have an advocate. And, and the Greek word translated advocate is parakletos, which means a, a legal advisor, a proxy, one who comes forward on behalf of another, a representative. And the good news is that when we do sin, Jesus comes forward on our behalf. He's our advocate. He's our proxy. He is our representative who was the atoning sacrifice for not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. And so, so John is saying, he's like, all right, let's not pretend. Let's not pretend. Let's not pretend like we have no sin. Let's, let's not pretend to try to hide and conceal it. Because if we do that, we're actually belittling the sacrifice that Jesus made. I want you to catch that. He, like, if, if, if we try to pretend that we don't have sin, if we try to hide it, we're actually belittling the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And I, and I want to share with you a, a quote from the reformer Martin Luther. And, and he's writing to a friend of his who had begun to despair of, of his own struggles with sin. And Martin Luther writes him a letter, and I'm going to share just a, a brief portion of this letter. And Again, this is like 1500s English, so like it's, it's a little clunky, but, but follow along with me. He says, if you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary, but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong or sin boldly. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. We will commit sins while we're here, for this life is not a place where justice resides. We, however, says Peter, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where justice will reign. It suffices that through God's glory we have recognized the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. No sin can separate us from him. Even if we were to kill or commit adultery thousands of times each day, do you think such an exalted lamb paid merely a small price with a meager sacrifice for our sins? Pray hard, for you are quite a sinner. I, but, I, 
but I, I love that what, what Martin Luther is saying here. He's saying, all right, when, when, he's saying, when he's saying, all right, I want you to sin boldly. Like, he, he's not saying, hey, you know what? God's grace gives you a license to just go out and do whatever. That's not what he's saying whatsoever. If you read the full context of what he's saying here, he's saying, all right, rather, like, I, I, I'm advocating for brutal honesty and forthrightness with God. This is who I am. This is what I've done. I'm not going to belittle it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to talk it down. It's what it is. This is my sin, and it's great. But Jesus, I trust you're greater. Jesus, I trust you're greater than all of these things that I've done. So Martin Luther, he's not, he's not saying, hey, go out and do whatever. He's saying, all right, recognize that even in the middle of our, of our sins, when, when we do spit in the face of God, that his grace and his mercy is greater than all of that. And so I, I, I want to encourage anybody today that maybe you feel like you've been hiding from God. Maybe you've been, you feel like, all right, I've been trying to conceal my sin from God, from other people. I don't want to deal with that. It's easier to kind of like put it in darkness. And, and maybe there's a sin that you've been silently struggling with and nobody knows about it. Because if they did, man, that would be embarrassing. That would be awkward. That would feel awful. And so you struggle with it on your own. Maybe we don't like not even wanting to talk to God about it as if he doesn't know already. I've been there. So it's easier just to try to ignore it, to try to hide it, to try to rationalize it or explain it away. Well, this is why I did it. Instead, John is encouraging us. He's saying, no, no, no. Talk to God about it. Confess your sins. Be real. Stop pretending. But let's just be honest. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with God. And so I want, I want you to know that if that's you, number one, God wants to hear from you. Talk to him about it. Say, God, I hate this aspect. I hate this sin that I've just struggled with over and over and over and over. And I've sworn a thousand times I'm not going to do it, and yet I do it again. Just say, Jesus, I'm laying this at your feet. I believe that you paid for this. I believe that you are greater than this, and I'm giving it to you once again. And if I do it again tomorrow, I'm giving it to you again. And if I do it again next week, God, I'm handing it over to you again. But remember, through Jesus, not only do we have fellowship with God, but we also have fellowship with one another. And part of that fellowship with one another is that we have people that we can, that we can share, that we can be honest with. That we can say, man, this is that thing that nobody else knows about. This is that thing that I've been struggling with in silence. And I just need to talk to somebody. I just need to share it with somebody. James says, confess your sins one to another so you may be healed. Like there is healing that comes when we can just come out and say, hey, this is where I am. This is what I'm dealing with. This is, this is what's really going on. 
when we can bring it to that light, light is the best disinfectant, that we can share that with other people, it starts to loosen its grip and loosen its power on our lives. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. It doesn't mean we're not going to deal with it anymore. But when we have somebody that we can walk side by side with, shoulder to shoulder with, who's going to be there for you, that's going to pray for you, that's going to encourage you, man, that, that's part of why we have fellowship with one another. It's part of the reason God put his people together so that we aren't walking in, 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 in this world alone. So it doesn't mean you have to share it with everybody. Please don't. You've heard me say this before. You don't have to tell everybody, but you've got to tell somebody. And so who's that person? Who's that person in your life that maybe is going to be that encouragement, that accountability, that help, that support for you? So let me pray for us this morning just about this. Lord, we, God, we just come to you this morning so thankful, so grateful, Lord, that we have an advocate. Lord, that, that your desire is the same as John's. You, your desire is that we not sin, but, but if we do and when we do, Lord, that we have an advocate with you, that we can come to you and we can know, Father, that we, that we when we confess our sins, that we can be forgiven, that we can be cleansed of all unrighteousness, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, for, for those in the room, I, for myself. God, that I have areas in my life, Lord, that I try to, to shine up, that I try to make look pretty and, and downplay, and oh, it's not as big a deal. God, even those times that maybe I try to hide it from you. Lord, that we've been brought in fellowship with, with you and with one another. God, so that we, can, that we can encourage each other. Lord, that we can be forgiven, that we can be healed, that we can experience uh, freedom that comes through that confession. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would help us just create that, that culture here, that we would create that, that space where people feel free, that they can talk, where we can be honest without judgment, without being looked down upon, where we can just say, this is where I am, this is what's really going on. That just as Martin Luther was, was saying, that we, when we sin, we can sin boldly, but we know, God, that your mercy and your grace is greater than any of the mess that we've gotten ourselves entangled with. So God, we come to you. And we ask God, we take those things that we've tried to hide away in the closet, we pull them out right now, and we bring them before you. We lay them at your feet in the light of your mercy, in the light of your grace. And we ask, Lord, for forgiveness. We ask for healing. God, we ask for freedom, that we can walk in that freedom that you have given to us, Lord. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.